Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Candlestick Church by Dr. Andrew Corbett. Father, you're about to heal hearts. God, you have spoken to me and said, I'm sending you to the rock to bring healing, to heal hearts, to heal marriages, and to strengthen any breach that could cause injury to the church. So Lord, today, in this moment, I pray that people would experience your healing. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I do have a word from God for you, and I don't say that lightly. I don't, that's not normally the way I, I talk. But this is... This is a word from God for you as a church. And I'm going to be anchoring it in in a moment out of the book of Revelation. And and you'll see uh, where we go in a moment. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, you will know that the opening three chapters is, it it sounds decidedly different to the rest of the book of Revelation. The opening three chapters is written to seven churches in Turkey, what we would call Turkey today. And these churches were actual churches. They were on a trade route and they're written to in the exact order that you would, if you were to go on that journey, you'd arrive at the seaport just near Ephesus. Ephesus is just a little bit inland from the seaport. And then you would travel and and the exact order you would go is the exact order those first seven churches are mentioned in Revelation chapters two and three. And Jesus in in Revelation chapter 1, which to me is one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible. And and let me paint some backdrop here to help you understand where I'm coming from with this. That we have have the church, this, this is written in 65 AD. And the significance of that date is that in 64 AD, the reigning emperor of Rome, that was Caesar Nero, who became emperor at the age of 17, he went on a murderous rampage against Christians. And hundreds of thousands of Christians were publicly martyred. They were, just checking to see there's no children here because I don't want to freak anyone out, but this is history. This is not exaggeration. He impaled Christians on poles, put them up as street lamps, covered them in pitch and lit them alive, burning them alive to mark the the way to the stadium where more Christians could be thrown to the lions and things like that. This guy was was a horrible man. And so he has already tried to to, uh, murder, execute, kill John, the, the, the Apostle John, and you may know that, that the story goes that John was thrown into a, a vat of boiling oil and like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who survived the fire, so did John. John survived that and he came out and they thought, we can't kill this guy. Now what do we do with him? So they exiled him to an island off the coast near Ephesus, a, a, an island called Patmos. And this looks pretty bleak. 
if you can look over the shoulder of John and some of the surviving Christians around that time, we see that they would have thought, my goodness me, being a Christian, it's not a matter of whether you're going to lay down your life. It's a matter of when you're going to lay down your life. It's a matter of how is the church going to survive when you've got persecution coming from Jerusalem. We read that in Acts chapter 8. We see Paul killing Christians. We see persecution from the synagogue happening all through the book of Acts. And now they've got persecution coming from the state, from Rome. This looked pretty bleak. And so John is there and, and it says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which is just, just profound that he, under so much intense pressure with Man, we were supposed to, you know, Jesus told us to take the gospel to all the world and make disciples of all nations. And we're not even going to get the job done in our own time, in our own generation, in in the people that we have come into contact with. How on earth is this going to work? And he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I and it's just powerful. He says this. And I I heard a voice and I turned to see the voice. Now, I find this staggering because this is John the John called the beloved disciple who rested on the lap of Jesus at the, at, at, at the Last Supper. Now, we, we see the, you know, was it the, the uh, Leonardo da Vinci portrayal of the Last Supper where Jesus said, come on, boys, everyone on this side of the table so Leonardo can paint us. It wasn't like that. This was, there was, what table? They didn't use tables. They used elbows. You know, the whole thing, get your elbow off the table. No, put your elbow on the floor and dive in. That was, it was, that's how they ate. They reclined. And we read about that in the Gospels where we see that. And here's John. So when we talk about John reclining against the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper, and he look, and can you imagine that? John's about 16, 17 years of age. He's a young man. Jesus is like his big brother. And if you have any doubt about that, just remember those final moments on the cross. When Jesus says to Mary, Mary, this is now your son. John, this is now your mother. That makes them brothers, right? So here we have this incredibly close relationship. And you can imagine when you're under pressure, and if you've ever been under pressure, and if you've ever had... If you've ever experienced stress, and I don't mean like, uh, should, I, should I choose the red shirt or the orange shirt? I mean like real kind of stress. You know what happens to your heart? It, it, it begins to thump. And, and I think that's something that John would have heard head on, on the chest of Christ, hearing this. And he looks up and he says that Jesus just said, one of you is going to betray me. And John says, And Jesus would have said, it's the one I'm about to give this to. And we know that because John's the only one who records it. And he gives it to Judas. So this is an incredibly close relationship. Now, I'm I'm telling you this because in the Isle of Patmos, Jesus speaks and John goes, who's that? You got the picture? It's not the Jesus meek and mild who walked the shores of Galilee. John turns to see the voice. And what does he see? He sees Jesus as he really is. All glorious. Not the Jesus meek and mild with the decaf latte hair. But the Jesus who's got a sword strapped to his side. Whose eyes, he says, are like 
burning flames. Forget Avengers Endgame. This is the real thing. And there's John. He falls down. Oh my, what? And he sees burning bronze coloured feet and he sees white hair and he sees Jesus radiant and glorious. And everything Jesus said, the ground shook because it says his voice was like the sound of many crashing thunderous waters. Oh my goodness. And Jesus says this. Right to the seven churches. And as he says it, John looks closer and he sees, he, what, hang on, what? there's seven candlesticks. And Jesus is, is right in the midst of them, a circle of candlesticks. And these aren't the, 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 the see candles in our concept are made of wax and have a wick. And, and the more they burn, the smaller they get. That's not the picture in Revelation 1. It's, it's this kind of oil-filled candlestick. And, and you read in the Old Testament that those candlesticks had to be made of gold. So that, that's gold. And so we have this concept. There's Jesus in the, in the circle of candlestick and Jesus right there. And I, I want you to just, if you get nothing else today, which I hope you get about seven things today, and here's one of them. Jesus is in the midst of the church. Jesus is in the midst of the church. And while the church is thinking, man, we're, we're doomed. This thing can't work. We're going to, this thing. Jesus brings a word to John that says, I haven't forgotten you. Church is not, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's see what else I can try. He comes to John with the most reassuring message that, John, what you see is the, I'm going to, my language, what you see is the underside of the tapestry. John, and we let me jump ahead to Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. John, come on up. I want to show you, come on up because I want to show you what the top of the tapestry looks like. And, and if you, you know, tapestry where you weave things in, you can put different colors, and underneath it's like dangling threads, and it looks like, what the heck is that? But on top, it looks like maybe a landscape, it looks like a beautiful picture. And so John is taken up into heaven and he sees what's really going on. And what he sees really going on is that Christ loves the church. He loves the church. He's going to protect the church. And John's given a glimpse of where this thing's going. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, Then I saw a multitude that no man could number from every tribe, nation, and tongue, waving palm branches in their hand. Palm branch, a symbol of victory. Remember, Jericho fell when the Israelites waved palm branches. Jericho means city of palm trees. And it's a picture. And it was when they built the, t- the, the temple, they etched palm leaves all around it, it's, which is to say we put our faith in God. Nothing's impossible. Victory is assured. And there they are at the end of the age, the church, and John sees it. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue waving palm branches to say we won. We won. We got this. We won. And Christ is in the midst of it. You see, some people think church is optional to be a Christian. I do not know how you possibly get that. You can't get that. Because if you want to come through Jesus, you've got to come through some candlesticks to get to him. Because he's right. The circle of candlesticks, he's right in the middle. Do not think church is optional. Do not think church is sort of out there. Now, I know that there are churches that call themselves churches that maybe hurt people. They, they teach stupid things. They... they they fleece people. They do all kinds of things. This is not one of them. 
This is a candlestick church. And what you are now is not what you will be in 12 months. Don't you know how, does anyone not know how to do the Toyota jump here? What is that? What? All drive Holdens. The, the point is, I want you to see this. So this is, this, this is the message God has given me for this church. I've never preached this before. I said to Sean, I'm looking forward to hearing it myself. Um, being a candlestick church. Now, when, when you understand this first, what's happening in the first century, there, there were hundreds of churches planted all across the empire. And in fact, we read right near the end of, of the era of, the, of these disciples, Paul writes to the to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1 the last part of verse 5 the first part of verse 6 he says I I thank God that's the last part of verse 5 this gospel now we're into verse 6 of Colossians chapter 1 this gospel has now been preached in all the world what you see when scripture uses terms like world earth it's from their perspective you see their perspective the world was essentially the Roman Empire like what Queensland what Tasmania? But that's why Paul could say, the world that we know has now had the gospel go to it. This gospel is now being preached to, to the whole world. And he, he dials that down in verse 23, Colossians 1:23. This gospel has now been preached to every creature under heaven. And we could read that and think, kangaroos? Kangaroos, really, on Fraser Island, really, really, every creature under heaven. Understand the way Bible uses language. It's saying every Jew has now had an opportunity to hear the gospel by around about 63 or so AD. So there were hundreds of churches planted across the empire. But here's what I want to show you. There was one of them that was a standout church, not because it was perfect. In fact, it had issues. In fact, thank God that all of these churches in, that you read of in the New Testament had issues. Um, go everywhere, preach Christ. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? All of those churches are essentially, apart from the Philippians one, is written to because they had problems. Here's the thing about growth. You ready for it? You ready, Mike? You got this? Whenever God brings growth, he brings problems. Let's just worship the Lord now. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you see, I, I got a feeling that some churches don't want to grow. And, and usually it's, the, it's, it's people who are resistant to change. Put your hand up if you're resistant to change. We're not going to change. We're not going to do it. We're not going to change me. Is that you? Who's that? No one here. All right, we're all good. There are some people who said, oh, I've never put my hand up before and I'm not going to do it now. You really are resistant to change, aren't you? That's... <clears throat> all right, so there's one church that Christ ordained to the world that would be a particular example of what church could be, should be. And this is an example that, that, that's through all ages now. And, and this is an important point because one of the things I say to people is when, when you want to understand scripture, you, you have to understand who it's written to and then understand why it's written. So when we read about Paul's epistle to the Colossians, it's actually not written to the church at Capalaba. 
It's written to, this might, I'm not trying to be stupid here, but it's written to the Colossians. And it's written to the Colossians in, in that epistle would have been written about 59 AD or so. It's written to them at their time. Now, this is, this, you should go, oh, that makes sense. And it does, it does make sense. But can, has anyone ever read Colossians and gone, man, that speaks to my heart? And you see, in there, it says things like this. Um, put on love because it's the perfect bond. So as a church, you know, Scripture commands us to love. And, that's, and I'm going to make this point uh, because some people think love, it's just like, whoa, what was that? I think that was love. You know, you hear people talk about, I fell in love. <laughs> How did that happen? And, and people use that term, I, you know, fall in love. I, I'm going I'm to challenge that right up from the start and say, no, you grow in love. And here's the other thing. You can learn to love. You can learn to love. And I know, and the first time I ever heard it, actually, I think it was in Queensland, it went like this. If you find love hard, here's something you need to know. Fake it until you make it. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you're walking with Christ, you don't have to fake anything. You can, I want you to be real. And, and anyway, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. All right, what is that church? That church is the church at Ephesus. And let me show you why it's the church at Ephesus. It's the most written to, it's the most written about church in the New Testament. Now, you might come back and say, well, hang on a minute. It's certainly not the most influential church in the New Testament. And I go, I, I, I grant you, the most influential church, probably not even the church at Jerusalem. The most influential church in the New Testament is probably the church at Antioch. Here's why. If you read through the uh, book of Acts, you'll see Paul and Barnabas were elders in the church at Antioch, Acts 13. And uh, Antioch appears on the landscape at Acts 11. And it, it says that that was the church, that was the first church that began to send missionaries out to the Gentile world. And every time Paul went out to the Gentile world and he finished his tour, he came back to Antioch. Antioch was his base. Every time he went, he went to Jerusalem, came back to Antioch, went out, came back, went out again, came back, went on three missionary journeys and then came, and went, came back to Antioch. Antioch was a safe place for Paul. It was, it was safe harbour for Paul. But the thing is, ships aren't designed to live in harbours. And so you could say Antioch, but I just digress now because I want to show you why Ephesus is such a big deal. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to follow this. If you've got your iPad and you use Bible software, follow this. And you, you may want to just note some of the things that we're going to see here because I said to you, this is about being a candlestick church. And if you know Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, Ephesus is the first church addressed in this. So let's, let's get the background. Let's, let's do the prequel before we, we get into the end game. And it happened that while, this is Acts chapter 19, verse 1, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Now, here's the first thing I want to show you about the church at Ephesus. It started small. It started small. Was it Zechariah says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. So there's the first thing. It started small. We go to verse 2. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing we need to see about this church 
at Ephesus. It was grounded in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. It was grounded in the Word of God and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You see, you could be born again, and you should be, because God only admits people into heaven who have a covenant relationship with him, not who have an acquaintance with him. But you should also be open to what the Holy Spirit can do and allow the Holy Spirit to speak and allow the Holy Spirit to use you and allow the Holy Spirit to love others through you. And so that's the second thing we notice about this church. And then Paul asks this question. He said, into what then were you baptised? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptised with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, so I want you to see this. They're saved. They're now water baptised. No doubt about it. If they were to die right then, they're in heaven for eternity. But now we come to this interesting verse, verse 6. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says the Holy Spirit has stopped doing that. In fact, I'm pretty sure that if I was to ask those here, who has experienced this, what we might call second touch of the Holy Spirit, first touch salvation, second touch, baptism with the Holy Spirit, opens up for you the ability to pray to God in a language you never learnt before and for you to be able to say things that clearly did not come from your mind because we're just not capable of some of the things that the Holy Spirit might say through us. So here's the, here's the next thing I want, I want you to see. So it's started small, grounded in the Word and the Holy Spirit, and it grew quickly. And I said to you, whenever there's growth, this is the pattern. I didn't write this. This is God's Word, that whenever there's growth, there's problems. Whenever there's growth, there's problems. So if you have problems in your life, Rejoice because it means God wants you to grow, Terry. I don't care if you're nearly 70. You've had problems. You've got more to come, says the Lord. But that means you're going to grow until you die. This is really, thank you. You're welcome. God's not finished with you, Kerry. Seriously, God's not finished with you. I'm sure the butterfly, as it goes into chrysalis in the cocoon, thinks, what on earth is happening? And then there's the struggle. And then there's, then there's coming out, which is problematic for the butterfly, you know, problematic. Because it doesn't have much of a capacity to break that cocoon and it comes out into who it was always meant to be, Kerry. And so... It grew quickly and experienced much opposition. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So many Jews are coming to know Christ, but with growth comes problems. And we see here in verse 9, but 
when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. In other words, this became a Bible school. And so it says in verse 11, uh, sorry, verse 10, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia, Asia being Asia Minor, which we would call today Turkey, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is a church that's had an influence beyond its own postcode. Verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And can I just tell you, miracles happen in response to spiritual attack. Now, I know that some of you have said, why aren't we seeing the miracles of the book of Acts? Well, do you want the context? Do you want the context of the book of Acts? Do you want the context, which is demonic attack, spiritual oppression, political attack, Christianity being banned, martyrdom? Who wants miracles now? Uh, Is there another way to have miracles? Because every time God moved in the miraculous, it was an equal reaction to the oppression against his plan. So if you're not, I just want you to get this. If Sunday by Sunday you're not seeing miracles, this is not a bad thing. It, it, see, you either, you either live in blessing or you require a miracle. In other words, I'm going to use a little bit of strong language here. If you are walking in the will of God, you are walking in the blessing of God and you rarely need a miracle. Now, don't misunderstand me. Please don't misunderstand me. Because Romans 8, chapter 20 says that all creation is subject to futility. That means cancer. That means divorce. That means disease. That means car accidents. That means tragedy. But those aren't the reasons we worship and serve God anyway, are they? Like, you know, it's like, I want to avoid all those things, therefore I'll become a Christian. Did you check the price tag of that Christianity when you bought it? Because if you did, take it back to the shop now, I hope you got your receipt, and get a refund because that's not Christianity. We don't become a Christian to manipulate God and to put a protective force field around us so that nothing bad will ever happen. That's not how it works. This is how Christianity is. We worship God because he has saved us and he grants us the right to become the children of God for eternity and to be co-equal heirs with Jesus in heaven forever. That was my masculine forever. Forever! (laughs) And in the meantime, Paul, 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 who was whipped, shipwrecked, beaten, run out of city, says, ah, it's light affliction. It's light affliction. I barely even noticed it. (laughs) Hold me back. (laughs) Compared to what awaits me in heaven, it's nothing. It's nothing. He says, I've been betrayed. I've had people do horrible things to me. He actually names a couple of them, Alexander and Hymenaeus. He names them and says, I'm not praying for these guys anymore. But he's focused on Christ. That was a little digression. 
so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. And by the way, Brisbane's not short of evil spirits, by the way. So if you think you're not under any spiritual opposition or, or oppression or attack now in this city, um, may God open your eyes. So in other words, these miracles may happen. Let's be open to it. <laughs> In fact, there are people here right now, I'm, I'm trusting that as I speak, God is going to confirm his word with signs and wonders in you that those who have lower back pain will experience healing as I'm speaking because that's the grace of God. And it goes on, and this is, this is the next thing. We see the church at Ephesus is established. Let's go down the track 10, 20 years now. And we see that Ephesus became a significant church where Paul, we've already seen it, he was based there as the apostolic pastor. That means he's an apostle, but he's, he's functioning as a pastor. And sometimes pastors who have an influence beyond their own postcode are what I might call apostolic pastors. They, they can speak into situations as messengers of God. And, so, and they care for people. They genuinely care for people. And thank God you've got a pastor who's like that. Uh, <clears throat> am I on? The, the, word, the response was, oh, Amen. <laughs> Hello? And so this church had a, had a team, uh, an, almost a succession of apostolic pastors. After Paul left Ephesus, we see that Timothy was, was placed into Ephesus as the pastor. After Timothy went to Rome to attend to Paul, who Timothy went to Rome just as Paul was about to be executed. So shortly after writing 2 Timothy, Paul is, Paul is, uh, Paul is beheaded by Nero, uh, late 64, early 65 AD. And so we see that there were elders in this church. Thank God that you've got elders in your church here. And it says, now, this is Acts chapter 20, so this is next chapter on. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. So Miletus is right on the coast. He's not prepared to go into, into uh, Ephesus because last time he had so much opposition from the Jews, he was run out of town. So now he's saying, look, I just, let's, I'm, I'm on a mission here. And this was the mission to go to Jerusalem, be imprisoned and head to Rome to stand before Caesar. And so he says and called the elders of the church to come to him, about a 20-mile journey. So they, they came to him, and he spoke, you might remember, all night, and it was a powerful word that he gave them. And that powerful word also contained warnings. And so they received Paul's prophetic warnings to them. That's a sign of a mature church, not a hard-hearted church. And so 1 Thessalonians 5.21, I think, or 5.20, says, Do not despise prophecy. Verse 21, but test all things to see if they are from God. All right, so here's Paul's prophetic warning to the church. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Remember, this is what a candlestick church does. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in Notice this, not from outside you. Where, where are they coming from? Among you. Not sparing the flock. See, 
of the people that came out the front, those who are called to be elders, which is the same as saying shepherds, are called to guard you as a church against attack, wolves. People who are going to say dumb things, do dumb things, teach dumb things. And the saying goes, and John Stone Street, who's taken over from Chuck Colson, he says this, um, uh, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And that's why we as a church need to be a prophetic light to our community too. And he says, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So be careful if someone says, oh, what do you think about Sean's preaching? Oh, I think it's all right. No, you don't. He, no, no. He's, no, it's just, it's just the way he uses the Bible all the time. I'm getting, frankly, I'm getting a bit tired of that. <laughs> the way he keeps taking all my sacred, uh, all, all my uh, 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 core doctrines and frying them like hamburgers on the barbecue of God's word. I'm just sick of it myself, aren't you? Uh, not really. Do you want to lift home again? Uh, yes. Yeah, oh, I see. I knew you agreed with me. I think we should go and start our own church, a church of two called the holy duo church of the two. And let's leave this church. Hopefully an elder is going to overhear that conversation and they're going to come up and go, excuse me, what, what did you just say? Nothing. So now you're lying. And I'll tell you what, don't get a lift home with this person. I'll give you a lift home. And I'm trying to lighten it up, but can you see how this might work? We protect sheep from dumb ideas. You ever heard a dumb idea in church? Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. So Paul, Paul later wrote to this church outlining the theology of church. We see this in Ephesians chapter, well, Ephesians chapters 1 to 6, really. He put all things under his feet. This is Ephesians 1 verses 22 to 23. And gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice Christ's view of the church in Ephesians 3.10. You see, Christ has no other vehicle for manifesting his glory in the earth right now. Coming to church on a Sunday is assembling, not hanging out. Coming to church on a Sunday is assembling. And we, you, I, I guess somewhere out here you've got emergency assembly point. If you haven't, you probably need to at some point. You do. Okay. See, that's not something you joke around with. No, I'll, stay, I'll just stay in the building while it burns down, thanks. No, it's an emergency assembly point. We have to account for you. We have to get you there in case this thing burns down because we want to protect you. And this is church. This is the assembly. The, this is an, that's an Acts word. It's a Bible word, right? When we gather as the church, it's the assembling of the saints. It's not the hanging out party time. It's the assembly. We're assembling. And I remember going to school and I had a, a primary school. I remember going to school. That shouldn't shock any of you. It's not cheap because I'm not that old. And... <laughs> 
And, and in primary school, we had a, an, an ex-police guy who was the principal of the school, Mr. Blackie. And mate, you did not say, he just no bone of humour in his body. And we, as, as little kids, had to stand. This is back in, I don't know if you ever got the little bottles of milk in Queensland. Yeah. School, yeah. And we would stand there, so, I reckon it was about six hours. In, you know, had to stand to attention, had to st- stand at ease, because he was like police and military and had to do all that. And that was an assembly, and he took it seriously. And so should you. Do not forsake the gathering together or the assembling together as is becoming the habit of some, Hebrews 10.25. You should not go, is it golf or is it church today? Well, that, that, we'll ask a different question. Does my heart fully belong to Christ or does it fully belong to the 18th hole? This is good preaching, Andrew, don't worry. This is, this is good. Actually, I went, I've got to... See this? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. To him be glory in the what? Church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 4.1. Notice this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you in a, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Verse 2. With all humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And that's a command. And, and if it was easy, it wouldn't be a command because it wouldn't need to be commanded. But it's a command. That means Sister Carborundum Stone is going to join this church. That means Brother Sandpaper is going to join this church. That means Gary Grit is going to join this church. And all of those things are going to rub you the wrong way and irritate you. But there's a really cool thing about sandpaper. It smooths. So does car- a carborundum stone. If you don't know what that is, ask someone who does. <laughs> Seven. Here's the thing that we see. Paul's two epistles to Timothy were actually sent to the Ephesian church. It's exactly the same as the way I parent my kids. When um, people like Sophie were picking on my children, I might have said to, uh, to my children as Sophie's laying into them with her fists, you probably remember those days, where <laughs> I would say, Ruby, why are you letting, why, what are you doing to Sophie? as Sophie's smashing the pulp out of her. And I'm now pointing out to Sean and Annette, oh, Ruby, what are you doing underneath Sophie's fists? And at that point, Sean goes, Sophie, again, she's hitting someone? Still. Still? Still? And, And this is exactly the same. Paul is writing to Timothy, but really he's telling off the Ephesian church. Because he was his boy in his 30s. And he says to Timothy, do not let anyone despise your youth. That's not for Timothy's sake. That's for all those people who are treating him like a kid. And he's saying, stop it. Grow up. This is God's man. Look after him. Respect him. And Paul says in Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, And I urge you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons. Not, By the way, Sophie never did actually hit Ruby. <laughs> did she? <laughs> 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 
so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So there's Paul saying, remain in Ephesus. So these, these two epistles. Right. I, John's three epistles were written to the church at Ephesus. And this is what he had to say to them. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Beloved, I'm writing you no new, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And what is that? Love one another. Love one another. That's it. The ninth thing we see about this church at Ephesus, Jesus Christ addressed it first in his letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And here we go. That was my introduction. Let me just come up the conclusion. We're going to skip the whole body. Just go straight to conclusion now. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles but are not and be found, uh, found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the first love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet... This you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, to and let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is, the, which is in the paradise of God. So here's what we see. Here's my conclusion. What do we see from this that reveals Christ's heart for the church? From what we've seen about what he said to the Ephesians. We see this. The rock is to be founded on the word and the spirit. The rock is to be an apologetic church. That is, you're able to defend what you believe. You're able to uphold truth even when society legislates to the contrary. You can stand for truth. Apologia, apologia, apol means to give logia the reason, to give the reason. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm so sorry. It's, it's a different understanding. So a church that can withstand opposition. Thirdly, the rock is called to be an apostolic base with a heart that goes beyond its own postcode. You're going to put a missions TV up, aren't you? Yes. And that's going, to, that's going to send a message. We're not just thinking about our four walls. And no more. We're thinking way beyond, way beyond our postcode. The rock is to have elders who know God, hear God, and heed his word. The rock is to foster a vital love for Christ and each other. And here's the question. When, when it says you have lost your first love, I've only ever heard sermons that say this. They had lost their first love for Jesus. And I'm, I, I just want to put the challenge out there that the kind of love God requires of us is, is horizontal and vertical. Horizontal. You see, as, as Sean said this morning, he, he doesn't 
have to love these guys who are standing up here. He's commanded to love these guys. You don't have to love the person to your left, to your right, in front of you, behind you. You're commanded to. If you're a husband sitting next to your wife holding her hand, just give her that look, that look that says, love you, babe. I'll just, I'll just, I'll look away, I'll look away, I'll take, take a moment. And wives, now's your opportunity, I'll look away again. That, that, that look that you wives give your husbands, that look that goes like this. <laughs> Clearly not a wife, Kim just said. <laughs> The rock is called to be humble, to heed the warnings of Christ's word. The rock is to be a church that maintains first love. And here's, I just want to conclude with a word of wisdom because there's three misconceptions about love. I've given them already. Here's the first misconception. Number one, it's a misconception to think that love is purely a feeling. I'm not asking you to feel like you should love. I'm telling you, Scripture says love. Secondly, uh, and by the way, that applies to marriages. Hallelujah. This is awesome. This is great. great. I'm going to invite myself back. This is just awesome. <laughs> misconception number two. It cannot be, it's a misconception to think that love cannot be helped or enhanced. All that is, it cannot grow. That's just a misconception. That's not true. And third misconception is it never experiences conflict, misunderstanding or anger. And if you don't believe that to be true, go and ask someone who's been married longer than about a year and ask them, have you guys ever had a misunderstanding? (laughs) Do you love each other? Yeah, some days easier than others. Is that just my marriage? Is that just, is that, because you're all looking at me like, no, not us. And that's how you become a candlestick church. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that this church will indeed become the fullness of a candlestick church, grounded in the word, grounded in the spirit. Father, bless Sean and Annette. Father, I thank you that you've called them here, brought them here. And Father, you have, in many respects, taken Sean and Annette through that chrysalis process. And Lord, they are not yet who they will be, but they are not now who they once were. And Father, I pray that as as Sean grows... This church will grow. Father, that as Sean is stretched, you will stretch this church. Lord, as Sean is challenged, you will challenge this church. That, Father, as Sean grows in his knowledge and understanding and depth with you, that so will this church. Now, Father, I pray that by your spirit and by the power of your word, you will bring healing to hearts. You will wash away bitterness. You'll wash away resentment. You'll wash away friction between husbands and wives. And that, Lord, you will make this place a place of great joy, great peace and great safety and healing in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.